the beauty of where we were was incredible. Victoria in Vancouver, Canada, just across the water from where Seattle is, just a kind of puddle hopping over. And you would think because Seattle is usually plagued with rain and all of those things that because it was only a stone's throw, it wouldn't be, but it wasn't. It was beautiful. One of the most beautiful places I've ever been. We went to the gardens while we were there, some of the most beautiful gardens I've ever been to. We went on hikes, we went kayaking, we went whale watching, uh, we went zip lining, all of these things because this area attracts thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of tourists every year. And, and people come to this place in order to get away from the other conditions that they live in, whether it's heat or it's cold or all of those things, because the temperature in Victoria is almost perfect year-round. It's just a beautiful place where there are these beautiful little coffee shops and eateries and all of these things. And all about this place, the beauty of it, the, the, the convenience of it, um, everything about it you would think is the best place to live. And so all of these families flock there and they've got beautiful schools and all of these things that would say this is the place to live. And so we went, a group of us, to do a soccer camp up in this area, this beautiful area where we stayed in a house nicer than the one I live in and, and got to go to places more beautiful than I've ever been before. And we go out on this field and the weather is perfect and we're doing the soccer camp with the kids. And at each of the stations, they learn different skills. But at one of the stations, we called it the truth station, where we wanted to teach them the truth of God's Word. And as we went through a different Bible truth each day, we came on Thursday to talking specifically about the gospel of Jesus Christ, about communicating with great clarity what it is that God had done in giving His one and only Son to die on the cross for us. And as I'm there with my group that I'm in charge of, which is a group of boys that are between the ages of six and eight years old, we're there and we come to the station and there's a little boy. He's taller than the rest, stockier than the rest of the boys, but has the most tender heart. And every day that we've been there, little Jaden is his name. Jaden was asking questions. You could tell that Jaden was really listening at the truth station. And every day when we would leave the station where we were to go to the truth station, he was the most excited about going to the truth station. And then on this day, on this Thursday, as we got down and we got down on our knees and little Jaden was kind of poised up, you know, where he was sitting on his knees and really listening to the teacher, Mr. Toby, teach about the gospel when Toby said, God gave his one and only son to come and to live, and then he died for us. Little eight-year-old Jaden could not contain himself from saying, I never knew this. I never knew this. I never knew this. Nobody ever told me this. I never heard this. And God changed me that day. As I watched this little boy bubble over with this statement of, I never heard this before. It was a wake up for me. Because what I fall into is a trap that I think most of us fall into, that when there's nice coffee shops, there's places to eat, 
Here in New Orleans, schools are not what we're known for. But say that it's a good place to raise your family. All of those kind of things are in place. Then we say, well, that's pretty good. And yet there are eight-year-old boys named Jaden who have never even heard the gospel before. Because you see, you cross over into Canada and you go to Victoria and you suddenly reach a place where less than 2% of the population are evangelical. In other words, they had, there's only less than 2% of the population that would say Jesus Christ is Lord. That's a big difference from here in the South. You see, we can't even wrap our minds fully around what it is to go into a place where an eight-year-old boy literally has never heard anything from the Bible. His parents are kind of taking a gamble, really just trusting that he's going to get something out of soccer and hopefully maybe not get too impacted by our truth station at this thing because they're suspicious of any organized religion. They, they, don't, they, don't, they don't see the value in it. In fact, they think it's a little hokey, maybe even a crutch. But there are places in our world where there are little boys like Jaden who have never, ever heard the gospel before. And it's with that in view that I want us to turn this morning to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15 and to look at verses 20 and 21. I want to give the context. Obviously, Romans, we're getting to chapter 15. A lot has been said before. Paul is communicating very clearly to them about the content of the gospel. He's teaching them about who God is and his nature. Um, he's walking through big concepts of understanding of a, of a biblical theology, of how the entire Bible fits together. But now he's coming to the end of this letter that he's written to the church in Rome, a church that he didn't found, a church that he's not yet been to, but, but a church that he's deeply concerned for and hopes will partner with him in this work of bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so he comes here after communicating to them and talking about his own journey from Jerusalem to this day. Then he comes into this clearing of a statement that I want us to consider today. So please stand, if you will, for the reading of God's word from Romans chapter 15, beginning in verse 20 and going down into verse 21. Paul says, my aim is to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named, so that I will not build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. Lord, we pray, thanking you that the same promise from Isaiah 52 that gave a window into the urgency to bring the gospel to those who have never heard is the window that remains open for us today to look out of and to see that there are places in our world still where people have never even heard the name of Jesus. And so, Lord, lift our eyes. There's so much that pulls our eyes to what's here, and here is important. We thank you for New Orleans. We thank you for the families you've given us. We thank you for the things that we give our time to, that we serve and support and lead. But Lord, may we not forget, may we not fail to lift our eyes to see that the work is not yet done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. 
This morning, it's little Jaden, eight-year-old Jaden that you would love. If you work with children, thank you for working with children. But Jaden was the kind of kid that you want in your class because he pays attention, he takes it in. You can just tell that he is soaking it up like a sponge. And there are Jadens all across this world that if we would just get to them with the gospel and begin to tell them about Jesus, they would soak it up like a sponge. There are men, women, boys, and girls who are desperate to hear about this good news of the gospel. But if we don't lift our eyes and allow passages like this to, to pull our heads up just a little bit and to see and to be reminded that there are people in places that have never heard, then we will never go. We will be, remain fully engaged just here. But that's not the Great Commission. You see, we've looked at it. Go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus was clear. He desires for his church to be engaged in the work of making disciples of all nations. And you say, well, what's a nation? Well, that's not always clearly defined. And so we move it down Sometimes even into just like little pockets of people that are in places so remote and difficult to get to that we just kind of called in their own people group, their own little nation, if it were. And so we want to be engaged in this work, but is there any guidance? Is there anything that helps us to maybe think about this work? Because New Orleans is important. In this First Baptist New Orleans, we want to be highly engaged in making disciples of all nations right here in New Orleans where we live. I want for you to be highly engaged as an individual in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your family, in making disciples of all nations. But what about those who've never heard? You see, when I said in Lesotho earlier when we prayed, you may have said, where? That's what I said the first time I was told by the missionaries that they were going there where? I was a little embarrassed. You would think, you know, you're supposed to know where all the countries are, but with almost 300 of them in the world, there's a lot I don't know where they are. So I said, JB, you have to man, help me out, man. Where is Lesotho? Oh man, I'm sorry. It's a small country inside of South Africa. Okay. And as he began to describe it, man, I would have never known about Lesotho if he hadn't told me. And then he began to tell me about the Basotho people. I would have never known about the Basotho people if he hadn't told me. And then I would have never, ever gone to Lesotho, to the Basotho people, into the mountains on that trail that I told you about earlier, if he hadn't invited me to come, to go into all nations and make disciples of all nations. So with that in view, boys like Jaden, people groups like the Basotho, what does Paul offer us here? What does God speak from his word here? Is it just... Paul, Paul just kind of talking personally, or might we glean something today as we talk about global disciple making as a church? Well, I believe that as we walk through these two verses, we see four, four influences that I hope will shape us today. You see, in our global disciple making efforts as a church, based on God's word, I think that we should be, number one, prayerfully strategic prayerfully strategic. You see, notice what Paul says. He says, my aim, my aim. Uh, you know, the saying goes, you know, if you don't aim, then you'll hit your target every time. In other words, you know, well, let's just do anything, call to win. 
It really, it really doesn't matter as long as we're doing good. And many churches have done that sort of ministry. Just as long as we're doing something, any movement at all is better than nothing. And on one hand, you can see, well, I guess you're right. Maybe nothing is, I mean, something is better than nothing. But notice Paul doesn't say, I was just doing anything. I was just trying to go anywhere. He says, my aim. What we see and we learn from Paul is that his aim was something that was constant. You see, even in the way that he says, my aim, it's a participle, meaning it's ongoing. It it ends with the ING, I'm aiming. Now, how many of you have ever gone and maybe fired any sort of like um, a bow and arrow, um, a water gun, a real gun, anything? If you don't keep aiming, you're probably not going to continue to hit the target, right? I mean, if if you start a race and you don't aim for the finish line and you just kind of close your eyes and start to go anywhere, chances are low that you're going to cross the finish line that you're going to end up getting where you initially aimed. You see, aim is not something you do once. As a church, we can't just say, make disciples of all nations and then just forget it. We you know, take aim and stop every week. You see, that's part of why we do the three circles on a regular basis within our classes is because we want to keep aiming. We don't want to have just taken aim at making disciples, knowing how important the gospel is. We want to keep aiming because... As many strategic leaders will tell you, one of the greatest threats, and this is a threat to the church as well, is what they call mission drift. Mission drift is just this reality that you you started off aiming, and then before you know it, you just started kind of drifting. You see, there's countless stories of, of different folks during World War II, some of our military that were flying over the Pacific Ocean that would go down. And if anyone survived, the stories like Louis Zamperini in the story entitled Unbroken begins with this story of them surviving the crash and then getting into a raft and then drifting over 2,000 miles before being picked up and becoming prisoners of war. How could you drift 2,000 miles? Well, it's really easy when there's other currents flowing underneath you that you never even noticed. And right now, there are currents pulling at us as a church to take us in a direction. And you may not be aware of it because the water is smooth. It's not like these big storms and these waves that push you You see, some of these big currents, they're just flowing very quietly underneath, but they're taking you and I somewhere right now. And so if we do not remain conscious and continue, as Paul says, aiming, continuing to aim, keep coming back to it. Whoa, 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 I think this is mission drift. Well, I think if we do this, it's a small step, but I think it's gonna set us on a course going this way. If we don't keep coming back to the fact that Jesus did not just say, make disciples, just make disciples. He modified it. He clarified it. He gave it its scope. He said, make disciples of all nations. Those are his words. So we do not have the liberty to redefine the scope. Jesus defined the scope of all nations. And so we have to keep coming back and saying, 
is this strategically making disciples of all nations? I appreciate the pushback that I get at times because sometimes I realize that my eyes can lift and I can say nations, 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 and someone might come to me and say, Chad, but what about right here? What about right here where we are? Well, Paul even addresses that. You see, the the letter of Romans itself is a corrective to pastors who might lift their eyes and say, nations, 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 forgetting that this is part of a nation, that New Orleans is in a nation. And some might even say New Orleans is its own people group. That we're a little different than the rest. Certainly the rest of Louisiana feels that way about us. And so to not forget our own local ministry field, this is our mission field. And so we don't want to neglect it. And Paul, writing to the church in Rome, obviously wants them to be strengthened. But notice that the way he does it, everything he does, I mean, if you just turn back to Romans chapter 10, even as he's teaching them, he is at the same time lifting their eyes toward the nations. That that people have to hear the gospel in order to believe the gospel. And how are they going to hear it if nobody goes? And how are they going to go if nobody's sent? I mean, Paul is is detailing this even in the teaching so that even as he thinks about what they are doing as a local church is with the view toward the nations. Because Paul was aiming all the time. Brothers and sisters, we must continue aiming all the time or we will drift. And before we know it, we'll be 2,000 miles away from the Great Commission. Prayerfully strategic. Our aim as a church is to make disciples of all nations who make disciples of all nations. That's our aim. We want to make disciples of all nations who make disciples of all nations. Notice that as I speak about that who make disciples of all nations is because There is not a single believer in this room who believes that when the Great Commission was given to the 11 apostles by Jesus in Matthew chapter 28, that he was only telling them to go and make disciples of all nations. In other words, it was supposed to stop in the first generation. That was to be the end. Only they were instructed to do it. We all believe that. So inherent in our belief and in our understanding, which is clearly played out in the book of Acts, We're supposed to be making disciples who make disciples. So it keeps going forward. Yet, many of us, myself included, if we were to go under the lens of being examined of, have you made a disciple who has made a disciple? We'll find ourselves suddenly a little uncomfortable. Because much of the way that we've set up to do church in North America is for you to bring to me a person to make a disciple who will then be involved in in a Bible study group, who will hopefully serve in our children's ministry and in other ministries. But your role just becomes bring people here for myself and the staff and other leadership to make disciples of who then support the larger work that we're doing of inviting more people to come and to become disciples. But notice that's not how Jesus defines discipleship. You say, well, Chad, so you're saying we should just get rid of the whole model? I'm saying we need to come back to aiming a little bit better. 
I'm saying that we need to rethink that even in our worship gathering like this, even in our Bible study groups, even in our prayer times, even in our, in our local ministries, all of these things, we need to come back to aiming and asking the question, are we effectively equipping the people of God to be disciples who are making disciples of all nations, who are making disciples of all nations? The bar is no higher than it was already established to be in the Word of God, but sometimes it takes a little aiming to come back to get better at doing what was already prescribed. So first and foremost, we see that we must be prayerfully strategic in light of the Great Commission. Second, as we go through this passage, we see that in our global disciple-making efforts as a church, we should be preaching the gospel. Paul says, my aim is to preach the gospel. Now, he's going to modify this with where Christ has been named, but I want us to look at that in just a moment. But I want us to just stop for a moment and to consider the simplicity of this, that Paul says, my aim is to preach the gospel. The reality for us is that that becomes a difficult thing. As I was visiting with a sister even this morning, she said, this, this week has been a, a great week, but also a challenging week because with a family member, I was praying, God, give me the words to say with this family member who, who, who thinks they got it all figured out, but I know needs the Lord. So God, give me the words. And then this is also a member that's involved in one of our compassion ministries with Care Effect and has been taking to heart the need to be more intentional, more strategic in those connections with those leaders in the schools where we bring those bags. And so, so this person uniquely decided to come up with a way to do a prayer journal where she gave the person a prayer journal and said, every week, if there's any prayer requests for the kids, for you, for any of the teachers, if you just wanna write them down, then every week I'll come and pick it up and I'll be praying for those specific prayer requests, kind of trying to open up a conversation it would then go into a spiritual conversation to make disciples of all nations. You see, this sister is looking for opportunity. She's praying, saying, God, give me the words. And that is a prayer that God longs to answer in our lives. You see, most often pastors think about the ministry of the church as being what I plan here on a Sunday morning. Rather, then the ministry of the church is what you do the other 165 hours that we are scattered from here. And that that is our primary disciple-making strategy. That, that that's how we make disciples of all nations who make disciples of all nations who make disciples of all nations. When sisters like this pray, God, give me words to say to this family member. God, give me words to say to this counselor at a school that I interact with on a weekly basis when I bring food for children in her school. God, give me words to say. And the words that God has given us to say, we see so clearly. Turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You see, Paul is so clear here with the gospel. He says, beginning in verse one, now I want to make clear to you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preach to you. Remember, he just said, my aim is to preach the gospel. But he says, I want to make clear to you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preach to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand and, and by which you are being saved. If you hold to the message I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. And then verse three, for I passed on to you of what was of 
uh, what was most important, I'm sorry, for I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And He goes on to this, but notice how He goes through and He says, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, that He appeared. And He goes on to speak as He goes on to talk about the ascension and then one day His return and the resurrection of the dead. Paul is so clear with the gospel, and that is why we as a church want to be clear with the gospel using something called the three circles. You see, the three circles, and I'm going to go through it right now, Nathan, starts with brokenness, because I don't know anybody that disagrees with me that that something's wrong in this world. We all agree, everybody on this planet, that something is wrong, that we live in a broken world. But see, Jesus made clear, clear the reason that we live in a broken world is because we are broken people. Every one of us. But that wasn't God's design. You see, God's design was good. In fact, he said it's very good. And that included his creation of people, their relationship with one another, their relationship with him, their relationship to creation itself. He looked at everything and said it's very good. So how did we get from God's very good design to this broken world filled with broken people? And the Bible says that it happened because sin entered into the world. And sin has impacted everything. It's impacted creation itself but certainly, chiefly, it has impacted our relationship with God and our relationship to one another. And as much as we try to fix that relationship with God and that relationship to one another, we can't, but God did. God did. And this is how he did it. He sent Jesus to come into our broken world, but he himself was not broken. He lived in exact relationship with God the way that God intended man to have a relationship with himself. The way that he treated people was exactly the way God intended people to be treated. He lived a beautiful, perfect life. But at the end of that life, he did something because the Bible teaches that the consequence of our sin is death. And so Jesus did something in order to pay the consequence of your sin and mine, and that's that he died on a cross. Taking on your guilt and your shame and giving us the gift of his righteousness, his right standing with God, his perfection taking away our sin debt and giving us the all clear. He was then buried, as Paul makes so clear. For three days, he was in the tomb. Sin was dealt with. It was finished. But then on the third day, to show the world that his son had defeated sin and defeated death, God raised him back from the grave. He was seen by many witnesses. And then he ascended into heaven with the promise that one day he will return. And the good news is this, that if you will be honest with God about your brokenness, about your sin, and will turn away from it looking to Jesus to be the only way that you can return to God. Then the Bible says that you become a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, that brokenness, and then you begin to grow into God's design for your life as a man or a woman or as a boy or a girl. And so the question becomes for each one of us, are we near God's design because we have turned from our brokenness and sin and trusted and followed Jesus alone? Or are we still in our brokenness and sin? That's the three circles. That's what we practice in our Bible study groups because we want to be equipped to preach 
the gospel. You see, our aiming can't just be to go to the nations and bring them clean water. Our aiming at the nations cannot just be to go and elevate educational levels. It can't even just be to go in and provide medical care. These things are important. You see how educational attainment impacts generational poverty or wealth. And so we look and we say, those things are good. You look and you see how just basic medical care prolongs life expectancy, sometimes by decades. And so we say, but that's important. And we say millions of people die every year from unclean water. So can't we just focus on clean water initiatives? We could, but that would be an aim that scripture does not invite us to have or better said, to have alone. You see, how much better is it when we take our aim because you have a brokenness over people in the world that don't have clean water, and so we link arms with a strategic partner who has created water filtration, water filtration systems that are, that are sustainable in any context, and we link arms with them, and we go in the name of Jesus to preach the gospel and bring clean water. Bold proclamation, bold compassion. You see, mission drift happens when we just venture into the waters of clean water, when we just venture into medical care and it alone. That's mission drift. But Jesus invites us into both to prioritize preaching the gospel while we do clean water projects and while we care for orphans and widows in the country of Lesotho with Reclaimed to preach the gospel because it is only the gospel that can set the captive free. It is only the gospel that takes a heart of stone and puts in a heart of flesh. It is only the gospel that brings and gives you the mind of Christ. It is only the gospel that can change the affections and set free from addiction. It's only the gospel that will transform a people group. Almost nothing excites me more as I think about preaching the gospel than this. Seeing when here locally, we engage in international student ministry. You see, God not only invites us to go to the nations, but in his grace, he has brought the nations right here to New Orleans. We have dozens of people groups represented right here in New Orleans at Tulane and at Xavier and at Loyola and at Dillard at UNO and SUNO, at the New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, at Level College, all of these schools that represent our, uh, you know, the greater New Orleans educational, higher academic community are full of international students, many who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so it excites me when I see people from, that are international students or are immigrants moving into our country, different pockets of people, to come and then find a home, to hear the gospel from believers at First Baptist New Orleans, who then maybe if they come here as believers, find a home with First Baptist New Orleans so that we more and more reflect the beauty of the image of every nation, tribe, and tongue gathered around the throne, worshiping, worshiping God Almighty. And so that's the beauty. That's what I hope for here. And so if we're going to proclaim the gospel around the world, then let us be found faithfully proclaiming the gospel and making disciples of all nations right here in New Orleans among 
the international students that God has given us. Prayerfully strategic, my aim, preaching the gospel is to preach the gospel. But then thirdly, our global disciple-making efforts as a church should be pioneering, pioneering. My aim is to preach the gospel, but then notice what Paul says, where Christ has not been named so that I would not build on someone else's foundation. New Testament scholar Douglas Moo notes, we should recognize that the desire Paul expresses here is just that and not an absolute rule. Another theologian and New Testament scholar Leon Morris notes that it's Paul's own personal calling that is in view. He's not saying that this is what all Christians should do. He's simply saying that his own calling is to plant the seed or to lay the foundation. And Leon Morris goes on to note, because Paul says at the beginning of 1 Corinthians that some plant, some water, but God alone brings the growth. And so he acknowledges there's going to be different roles to play. And certainly we know that Paul is an apostle. And so in that apostolic authority and role within the body of Christ, he's bringing the gospel and being pioneering. But this brings me to a point. Why would we not want to be part of bringing the gospel to places where they've never even heard the name of Jesus? Why would we not want to partner with places like the country of Morocco, where there are still places where you can go in and if you get the opportunity to go into a hut and to share a cup of tea and begin to share the gospel, this would be perhaps the first time in history, in history, that the gospel has been proclaimed in that village. Why would we not, if that door is open, want to run through it? And then additionally, to pick up our eyes and to be pioneering right here in New Orleans. You see, as I look and I think about First Baptist New Orleans, you've been pioneering locally. Some of the creative ministries that God is putting your heart to do, ministries like Inward, where there was the identification of an area where there was great darkness, great bondage, addiction, all of these things, and to say, what if we banded together in a, in a wise way to go down to Bourbon Street and to go into some of these adult entertainment inter, industry uh, locations and to go in and bring the gospel to these ladies in this industry? But what if we began strategically to do things to just try to get with, you know, in conversation with them where we could pray with them and share with them and maybe even see them if they wanted to, to leave that industry and to come out of that? What if we did something like that? And, and, and what was birthed out of that was a ministry called Inward. And the beauty of Inward was not just what First Baptist New Orleans did, but that you pioneered in an area that then many other churches in our city were able to come alongside. We need more pioneering efforts in New Orleans, but we need more pioneering effort among the nations. You see, I'm thankful for one of our members right now that's praying about going overseas next summer, trying to explore his own calling about whether he is called to stay here and mobilize the church toward making disciples of all nations, or if he himself is to go and to possibly be one of those pioneers going into that place what a joy it would be to be a church that sends out both pioneers while we're pioneering here. Because as one missionary told me, there's no greater level of partnership, no greater encouragement that could ever be received in the life of a missionary than to hear 
that we are doing here exactly what they are doing there. Rather than it being, well, we're just going through the motions here and we're happy and content and all those things. And good luck to you. We pray for you on Sundays. But to say, we are engaged in the same work of making disciples here that you are there. So FBO continue to be pioneers because there are still places where Christ has not been named. And so may it be that God would allow us to put the foundation of the gospel in that place to see the, the, the house of God grow in that area. But what's going to drive this? What's going to fuel this? Paul puts clearly right here what's going to fuel this sort of a mission-driven existence. And this is what it is. He says, he says, but as it is written, those who were not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand. You see, in our global disciple-making efforts as a church, we should be promise-driven. Quoting from Isaiah 52, 15, Paul has a vision of knowing, and he has other passages that very clearly put the promise of God for the Gentiles, that, that put the promise of God for how beautiful it is, how beautiful are the feet of those that bring good news. I mean, he's quoting again from Isaiah in Romans chapter 10. He has a vision from God's word and the promises that God has made, that it is worth it, that it is the plan of God, that this is where things are headed for all of eternity. And so he's giving himself to it, allowing the promises of God's word to fuel him. And if you go right now to IMB, the International Mission Board.org, IMB.org, what you will see on their, their, is maybe even on their landing page, is what is driving them what is driving us as Great Commission Baptist is the Word of God. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 says this, After this I looked and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And the reality of that vision, that Revelation 7, 9 vision, is what continues to fuel them to go into the difficult places where the average tenure of a pastor into these pioneering places is about three years. That's as long as they can last because the work is so difficult. I wonder if we might not lighten the load of our brothers and sisters who are called to go into these pioneering places if we ourselves set our eyes, if our aiming were to pick up a little bit higher and to say, we're not content just to bring clean water. We're not content even just to make disciples. We are aiming on making disciples of all nations who are making disciples of all nations. And so to that end, we are going to labor with you, brother or sister, called by God to go and to be a pioneer in this place, to pioneer with you in prayer to pioneer with you as God gives prayer, prayerfully a strategy for reaching this people that we will labor. If that includes us coming, we'll come. If it's not, then we'll continue to pray here. But we are with you and we will not forget. We will not cease to pray day and night. We will continue to labor until this people group is reached. I wonder if the tenure would not lift a little as they're not carrying that load of an unreached people by themselves, but that there was an entire body of believers, First Baptist New Orleans, locked in on a specific people group, laboring with that missionary to see that people group come to faith in Christ until a church is planted in that place. 
Think about the rejoicing on that day. Think about the joy. You see, the portrait that we get of that sort of rejoicing is recorded in Acts when the church at Antioch rejoices with Paul and Barnabas after they come back from their first missionary journey and they rejoice as they hear what God has done. They've been praying. They've been supporting. They've sent them out. But now their joy is being made complete as they hear what God has done. We need to be promise-driven. We need to be pioneering. We need to preach the gospel. We need to be prayerfully strategic. We need to be aiming. You see, this morning, as we think about taking aim, I wonder right now, what has your focus? Right now, today, what is right there in the bullseye that has your greatest attention right now? This is not a moment to shame you and to say, well, shame on you for thinking about those things. But see, I'm convinced that until we become mindful that the very arena where God has our focus right now might be the arena where we are called to make disciples of all nations who will make disciples of all nations, then we will constantly come to this place and we'll only leave feeling guilty. We'll only be like, I don't think about Jesus as much as I should. I was thinking about my destroyed house this week. Shame on me. I was thinking about my child who's struggling with addiction or or making some really bad decisions that I know are going to be hard on his or her family. Shame on me. I should be thinking about Jesus. I've been thinking about that work deadline, that project, the bottom line, not looking good for this coming quarter. Shame on me. Now, brothers and sisters, often it's shame on me and other pastors who constantly position the church rather than seeing all of your life as that arena, that that difficulty with your house, that difficulty with your child or spouse, that difficulty at work, that that's the very arena where God wants to meet you and fill you and use you and and empower you to live for his glory in unique ways that only you can, that he created you to do rather than just shame on you for not thinking about Jesus more. I'm sorry. That tends to be what we bring this moment to. But instead, this morning, I want you to bring those things that are in the bullseye from a bullseye that's over here and to bring them squarely into the mission of God and put them in there. Imagine, if you will, two buckets labeled. One is the things of this world and and the other is the things of God. I want you to take the concerns and the trials and the difficulty that you have right now and the world says, leave it to me, I'll take care of it. How's that going for us? I want you to take it out of that, those worldly hands, out, out of the, the hands of the world, and I want you to put it squarely in the hands of God and say, God, I want that to be the arena where you and your power fill me with your Holy Spirit, give me the words to say so that I can live on mission for you with my contractor and with the subcontracts and with my daughter or my son or my wife or my husband or my mom or my dad or my in-laws. God, I want that to be the arena where I see you at work and where you fill me with your spirit and use me to make disciples there. Because that's my life. 
I can't give up the life. But God, I give the life to you. Would you do that this morning? Fresh and in a real way, give the things that are right now in your bullseye fully to God. Father, I pray that in these moments, that there would be this alignment that only you can bring where suddenly these two worlds of living for your glory to make disciples of all nations who are making disciples of all nations and a concern about a son or a daughter would come squarely together in a way that only you could do. That right now in this moment, that that concern about the workplace and the job and all those difficulties and the desire to make disciples of all nations who are making disciples of all nations, that you would bring those together in a way that only you can and would fill me with your spirit. Lord, let this be a morning where the entirety of our life comes squarely into your purpose for us as your people. May we leave nothing off the table today. May everything come fully to you. And then would you send us this week to do ministry, to be ministers of the gospel, to be your ambassadors. In this moment, I'm just gonna give you some time as we sing to surrender everything to him.